The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. As those who trust in Christ, we who place our faith in Christ, we have a whole range of blessings that we receive from God. All these blessings are beyond understanding and are unfathomable to the human mind. No person can truly grasp all the blessings that God has given to those who place their trust in Christ. In this very moment, right where you sit now, if you placed your faith in Christ, it means at this exact moment that all your sins are forgiven. At this very moment, if your trust is in Christ, it means that God has loved you before you were even born. If you have placed your faith in Christ at this moment, it means that God has showed you His electing love that has existed towards you before the foundation of this world. If you hope in Christ at this very moment, it means that all your sins are forgiven. All your sins, your sins of yesterday, today's sins, and yes, tomorrow's sins as well. The work of our Lord Jesus Christ is completed and finished. Every sin of those who place their faith in Christ, yes, at this very moment, all their sins are forgiven. If you tr trust in Christ, if you place your faith in Christ, it means that you are separated from your sin. As far as the east is from the west, at this very moment, your sins are destroyed and removed from you. Your punishment has been put placed on another. The fine that you should have paid for your sin at this moment, if your faith is in Christ, that fine was paid for by another. The work of Jesus Christ is complete. And if you trust in Him, these blessings are yours at this very moment. If you trust in Christ, it means that right now you are justified. It means that in the eyes of God, you have never done any sin. If you place your faith in Christ, God sees you as He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Holy, righteous, and perfect. Because the life of Christ is credited to those who place their trust in Him. The death of Christ was on behalf of those who place their trust in Him. If you place your faith and trust in Christ now, and that is what you believe at this very moment, it means that right now you are covered in the cloak or the garment of Christ's righteousness. The perfect life of Christ is credited to you. In Christ, right now, in God's eyes, you are good. In Christ, in God's eyes, you are justified. If you place your faith in Christ at this very moment, in God's eyes, you are perfect. All these things are true of you right now, if your faith is in Christ. If you trust in Christ, it means at this very moment, God smiles at you. It might not feel like it. Maybe you woke up this morning and you overslept or you had a bad night's sleep. 
you woke up, you stepped on your cat, you spilled your coffee, or maybe you didn't even have coffee. And now you come to church feeling like a wretch. Listen, dear friends, it doesn't matter how we feel because in the eyes of heaven, this is a fact. In the eyes of heaven, in the courtroom of heaven, this is the truth. That for those who place their faith in Christ, God sees them as He sees His own Holy Son. Don't trust on what you feel. Put your faith in what you, in what you know, in Christ. In this moment, if you trust Christ, the Father smiles on you. In this very moment, if you trust in Christ, the Father is happy because of that. And He has joy over you. Because in Christ, you have everything you need to make the Father happy. If you trust in Christ, everything has been done on behalf of you. You have been, listen to this, fully forgiven. Be careful that these words do not become so cliche that we take them for granted. In Christ, you have been fully forgiven. No sin, no sin will ever be held against you if you are in Christ. You might struggle with sin. You might feel like you're losing the fight. But your sins, they've already been forgiven. They've already been conquered by one who is better than you. In Christ, you have been fully forgiven. Your forgiveness is not given to you in down payments. The more holy you get, the more forgiveness you will receive. No, your forgiveness is complete and full. Because in Christ you are holy. In Christ you are righteous. God's forgiveness has been poured out onto you and over you and into you because of the completed, finished, fulfilled work of Christ. This forgiveness, this blessing of forgiveness, this is what motivates us towards holiness. Discipline, self-control, the pursuit of holiness. We do not practice those things to obtain forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven, we pursue these with a vigor, with a strength, with an energy, a, a motivation that can only come from God. It is the forgiveness of God that drives you towards holiness. Listen, the only sin that you can defeat is a sin that has been forgiven. If you trust in Christ, if you are a believer, you might still be struggling with your sins. And you should, you might still be struggling and be frustrated with yourself. But be encouraged. You have been forgiven. And your forgiveness is complete. The Father has given us His love based on the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Father does not love you based on your performance. What a nightmare that must be. What a burden that would have been to carry if God's love was conditioned based on our performance. But God's love is conditioned and based on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Where you struggle, Christ has already prevailed. Where you fall, 
Christ has already overcome. His life was credited to you based on God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. This is your hope. This is my hope. This is the only hope. This is what empowers you. This is what motivates you. This is what inspires and encourages you to holiness and discipline. You see, holiness and discipline, as I said before, is the fruit that grows from a heart that has experienced the forgiveness of God, not the other way around. John MacArthur wrote, Through faith we are intimately united to Christ, such that all that is His becomes ours. We are justified, we are forgiven of our sins, and the eternal punishment that we rightfully deserve has been placed on another. And we are credited with the full righteousness of Christ Himself, such that we can stand confidently before God, before our holy God, and say, Blessed be God indeed. All these blessings are freely given to us. They are freely given to those who place their faith in Christ. And so we've already mentioned quite a few of these blessings, these gifts that come from God. We've mentioned that we are forgiven, that we are justified, that God makes us holy. And also, one of the greatest gifts is the gift of the Holy Spirit that is poured out on those who trust in Christ. But, there is yet one more blessing we haven't really discussed. This blessing is the pinnacle of God's plan. This blessing is the crown jewel in the crown of God's blessings. The specific blessing is God's adoption of us as His children. God's adoption of us as His children. This is the greatest of all the gifts that God could have given us. And so, before we continue, read along with me Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. Galatians 4, verse 4 to 8. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless us during this time, that you will make our hearts and our minds attentive. And Lord, that we will walk away here truly transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let our heads not just be filled with knowledge, but let our hearts, let not our hearts only be convicted, Lord, but let us walk away with firm convictions, Lord, so that we will be more conformed to the image of your Son. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. When we speak about the doctrine of adoption, we are actually referring to the simple fact that the creator of the whole universe, the, the most holy one, the one who is almighty, all-knowing, all-present, that this God would adopt us as his own children. That is what we refer to when we speak of the doctrine of adoption. You see, in our culture, 
we have become so used to the used to terms such as adoption we are so used to hearing phrases like children of god when someone says i'm a child of god it doesn't really mean anything anymore it doesn't have that impact anymore because we have become desensitized to those terms we take them for granted and so my hope my desire is for this church to have a renewed understanding of what it means to be adopted by God that this church will have a new renewed understanding as we discover the father heart of God and so this morning we will then take a look at three truths about the doctrine of adoption three truths about this magnificent teaching of adoption and so as we begin let's take a look at the first truth about the doctrine of adoption is that God's adoption shows God's grace God's adoption shows God's grace now that sounds obvious right but bear with me let's just expand what we mean by that statement God's adoption shows God's grace. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on the doctrine of adoption, placed an emphasis on the fact that we, you and I, we have no right or expectation to expect that God should adopt us as His children. We have no right or expectation to expect that God should adopt us as His children. We are full of sin. See, you might not know me, but if there's one thing you do know about me is what? Is that I'm a sinner, right? And all of us are tainted with sin, are sinful in every area of our lives. That doesn't mean that you are, you are as sinful as you could be, but the only thing preventing you from being as sinful as you could be is the common grace of God. So we are tainted with sin in every area of our lives. So God did not adopt us because we are deserving of it. He did not adopt us because of who we are, but He adopted us in spite of who we are. When we were still at enmity with God, when we were still His enemies, God decided to save us and to adopt us. Now, the fact that God saves us, that should be enough, right? The fact that God does not give us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Hell, right? The wrath of God. That is what we deserve. And so God removes that from us because He placed it on His Son. That would have been enough. But not only does God remove hell from us, He gives us heaven. We can now go to heaven. And that should have been enough, right? That's more than we could ever have asked for or bargained for. But that's not all He does. He gives us the Holy Spirit. That is way more than we could have asked for. But He doesn't stop there. He could have just removed hell. He could have just given us heaven. He could have just given us the Holy Spirit. But He adopts us as His own children. He gives us the Spirit of His Son so that we could be His children. Do you understand what privilege this is for those who place their faith in Christ? Not even Adam and Eve had the privilege to be called children of God. Don't get me wrong. God cared for them. God provided for them. God loved them. Even after they sinned, God provided for them. But because of Jesus 
and what He has done and the pouring out of the Spirit on those who trust Christ. Because of that, we now have the great privileged, privilege to be call, called children of God, to be made children of God, to be adopted by God. Charles Spurgeon said the following, We are by nature those descendants of those, children of those who have committed high treason. We are heirs of those who are born natural enemies of God. We are children of those who sinned against their maker. We are children of those who have rebelled against the Lord. We, have, we are children of those who are thieves. We are born of thieves who stole from the fruit of their master's garden. We are born of proud traitors. They rebelled against God, yet despite all of that, God put us into His family. There has never been something as great as this. There, could, there is nothing that you could do or ever have done to deserve God's adoption. You might argue that for some unbiblical reason that you deserve to be forgiven, but to be able to expect the adoption of God is way more than we could have ever bargained for. God gives us His grace in the abundance of His riches, the riches of His grace. And so, some people on this doctrine of adoption, I'm sure some of you have heard this, if some of you, like me in the past, before I was saved, have made this following argument. They'd say, no, no, God... God needed to adopt us. You see, God was lonely. He was lonely. He, he wanted children to make His own so that He could show them His love and person and have relationship and fellowship with them. I see some of you shake your heads, but that is being taught every Sunday in so many churches. My beloved people, nothing could have been further from the truth than that statement. You see, our God is a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have each other. They have each other in complete fullness and in complete relationship. God does not need us because He's lonely. Our Godhead has each other in perfect unity. We learn from the Gospel of John that the Father and the Son had perfect fellowship for all eternity and that they desire nothing more than to, along with the Holy Spirit, glorify each other. The persons of the Trinity, they do not need our friendship. They do not need our relationship. They have each other. That's all they need. But if someone were to have the blasphemous thought that the Trinitarian God is not satisfied within Himself, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit need something more than themselves, if that is a blasphemous thought that might occur, I would argue the following way. You see, even if God was lonely, He had the angels. The angels are more holy, more powerful, more obedient, and without sin or blemish. They would have made better friends than we could have ever made with God. 
But if the angels were not enough for God, He could have just created a new race of people who are better than us, more holy than us, and glorified. He did not need us, but He decided to not only save us, but to adopt us. God does not need us, yet He gives Himself to us. The emphasis of this teaching of adoption is simply this. That God's grace, God's, God's adoption, shows God's grace. We are not deserving to be called children of God, but it is a privilege and an honor that God gives to us because that's how He decided to glorify Himself. Just, just think about this thought for a moment. Ponder on this, this idea. What did it cost God to adopt us as His children? What did it cost the Father? It cost the Father His perfect, holy, only begotten Son to make us His children. So think about that. In order to make us God's children, God had to sacrifice His perfect Son. His only Son. His unique Son. It literally cost the life, the blood, and humiliation of the perfect Son of God in order to make us sons and daughters of God. You see, God wasn't in need of a son. He had the best son. And He gave Him up in order to make us children of God. To adopt us. He gave up His Son to adopt us who are full of sin. Full of blemish. It cost the perfect sinless Son of God to make those who know nothing but sin to become children of God. And so let's quickly just read Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time came, when the perfect time came in the plan of God, Jesus was sent, born like we were born, in the same conditions that we, we are in, yet without sin. Without sin, so that He did not have to pay for His own sin, so that He could take the penalty of other sin on Himself at the fullness of time. We also see this in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 especially, where we see that Jesus is sent by God to bring light to a dark world. And all of us know the famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, His only special Son, unique Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the grace of God the Father, that He adopts us through Jesus Christ to be His sons. A greater privilege than anyone before Christ could ever have. This is a privilege that is unique to those who are in Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He was the one who made it possible for us to be, be adopted by God. You see, Jesus Christ, He gave Himself willingly. It's not just the love of the Father that has caused us to be adopted, but the love of Jesus Christ as well. He willingly allowed Himself to be humiliated. 
He willingly took on human nature and added it to his God nature, being both fully human and fully God at the same time to honor his Father and in order to become the perfect mediator between us and God. It was the love of the Son, the love of Jesus Christ, that he allowed himself to be humiliated beaten, tortured, and murdered in order that He can call us who trust in Him His brothers. That He can call us to become fellow heirs with Him in the grace of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He had to step in in order to make us acceptable to His Father. It wasn't only the mission and the agenda of the Father, but it was the love and compassion and desire of the Son to make us fellow heirs along with Him. He willingly was humiliated and put to death in order to make us His brothers. Hebrews chapter 2, quickly read for us the passage in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. We read this. For he, who sancti- uh, for he who sanctifies those, uh, calls the, he calls them brothers, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him. And, and again, behold, I and the children of God he has given me. And so we also see in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Jesus Christ not only came to make us children of God, but he came to become our brother. He became like one of us in every respect apart from our sinful nature in order to redeem us from our sinful nature so that we can be accepted by God. It is because of Jesus that we are now more than simply slaves. God could have redeemed us from hell and kept us as slaves to Him. It's more than we could have ever asked for. But not only does He take away hell, He adopts us as His very own children. Greater grace can never be found. A greater gift can never be given. That our Creator would be so gracious towards rebellious dirt. We who are dirt of the ground, we we who are sinful mud, rebelled against our Creator, and instead of being crushed, we get God. He gives us Himself and calls us His children. This is grace alone. The grace of God that allows us to be adopted. So, to be a child of the Father, we, we, so we are a child of the Father, we are children of God through Jesus Christ. And we are brothers of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ through Him. And this is a great privilege in and of itself. But, being called a child of God, it's a great privilege, but that in itself is not the only privilege. That then brings us to our second truth about the doctrine of God's adoption. That God's adoption gives us certain privileges. If you thought this was great, it gets better. One of the greatest privileges that we have as God's children is that we now have access 
to the throne of God. We now have full access to the Father. Not only the Father, but we have Jesus Christ, the God-man, as our intimate brother. And because of having Jesus as our brother, we have the high priest of God as our brother. And because we have the high priest of God as our brother, we have full access to God. Take, rejoice, because we have an inside man. Jesus gave us full access to God. You see, you do not need anyone or anything else to reach God. You do not need a pope. You do not need a preacher. You do not need a pastor. You do not need idols or rituals or images to mediate between you and God. You have God. You have Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator, who is God himself, who built the bridge for us to become children of God. We have him, and so we have full access to the throne of God's grace. That's the reason the, he, the writer of Hebrews says, approach the throne of uh, the, the, the mercy seat of God with boldness. We do not approach God with a boldness that comes from our arrogance, but with a boldness because we know that we are firmly fixed in Christ and that Christ is always accepted by God. That is what gives us confidence. It's because of this and for this reason that we are not simply slaves who approach God as a master. We are not slaves who come to God in prayer begging Him for some attention or to provide our needs. No, we come to God as a father, a Paul. If that does not motivate you to pray, I don't know what else will. The fact that you can come to God in prayer as your father, not this removed being who you irritate with your petitions, but a father who earnestly desires your good, your best, a father who sacrificed his only unique son in order to make us his sons and daughters. If this does not give you a fire to want to speak with God, I don't think anything will. And if this does not motivate you to prayer, I would want you to ask the question, are you even a child of God? It is not, and it is because of this, that you as a church must make it a priority to pray. As a church, you must place an emphasis on praying because you're not just doing a ritual, something to take up the time. You as a family, you are an eternal family. The relationships you have here, these relationships will go on into eternity. And as brothers and sisters of Christ, as children of God, you approach God, your Father, who loves you, and you petition Him for what you need, and you praise Him for His great gifts. So, next time you have the opportunity to pray, do it. Be filled with fire and passion and, and, and desire and eagerness to approach God, your Father, in prayer. Pray together, not because you deserve to talk to God, but because He invites you. God the Father, God, He will never renounce you. He will never push you away. Because He can never push away Christ. 
He can never renounce Christ. If you trust in Christ at this very moment, it means that God will never turn you away. Because He who called you will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a God who cannot lie. He is the God who cannot change. And if He were to deny you who are in Christ, He has to deny His only begotten Son. And that is something He can never do. The, the work of Christ is complete on the cross. Your forgiveness is complete. And in a whole eternity of eternities, God the Father will never reject the Son. And this is our assurance. This is our assurance. This should be your assurance. That if you place your faith in Christ, your position is fixed. Now and for all eternity. Because God cannot deny Himself. The Father cannot renounce the Son. This should give you assurance. Let's quickly read for us Romans chapter 8 verse 36 to 39. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm sure you know that verse, but don't let it fly over your head as something you're used to. Right now, this very moment, if you trust in Christ, nothing will ever separate you from God. Doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter at this moment how you feel about yourself, what you've been through. The truth is that God will never leave you. And this is because, this is why the doctrine of adoption is so important. Because one of the privileges we have as God's children is that we can have full assurance. Full assurance of our salvation. Some people I've heard say that you shouldn't be sure of your assurance. You shouldn't be certain of the fact that you're going to heaven. Some groups like the Roman Catholic Church would say it's arrogant and, and you're full of pride if you claim that you know you're going to heaven. But in fact the opposite is true. Because Christ died to give you full assurance. And to deny that is to deny His work. That is proud. That is being arrogant. As children of God, we can know for certain that we belong to Him. Assurance of salvation is not pride or arrogance. Assurance of salvation is a dependency on Christ and Him alone. Because it is because of the completed, finished, fulfilled work of Christ that we can be sure of our salvation. <clears throat> the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you should know that you have eternal life. If you have any doubt, deal with it. What are you doing living in doubt? You can't live your life wondering the day you close your eyes here, where will you open them? You must have assurance knowing that you have eternal life. And if you are a child of God, if you have been adopted by God, you can never be unadopted. If that's even a word that we can use. 
If you are adopted by God, you are legally transferred into His family. You have nothing more to do with your old family, the family of darkness and the devil. You have been removed and placed into a fixed and a permanent and a legal position as God's child. I know there are many here who might sit here this morning who do not have good experiences with fathers. I know some might, when they hear the word father or pa or dad, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is, is heartbreak and frustration, and maybe even pain. But I want to tell you this morning that God is not like that. God the Father is always present. He is always there. He is always with you. And He loves you. And He cares for you. And He desires what is best for you. God the Father isn't just a Father. He is the Father. He is the ultimate Father. You see, our concept of fatherhood it's not something that we imposed on God so as to better understand God. No, our concept of fatherhood comes from God because He is the architect, architect of what it means to be a father. And our families, us as fathers, we, are, we have the privilege of trying to represent something small of what it means to be created in the image of God. Our father is the perfect father. It is because of this that Jesus says in John chapter 6 verse 37 that all those that the Father gives to Him, no one will be able to take them out of His hands. And He will never turn them away. He will never push them away. All those whom the Father sends to Jesus, He will accept. This is one of the great privileges that we have from God. And there are so much more. There's so, much, there's so many more privileges of God that I haven't even gotten into and unfortunately we don't have the time we haven't even spoken about the protection that God gives to his children we haven't even spoke about the relationship that we have and all the privileges of what comes with sonship and daughtership but that probably we should leave for another time and so let's go to the third truth about the doctrine of adoption the third truth God's adoption gives us certain responsibilities God's adoption shows us grace, God's adoption gives, him, gives us certain privileges, and God's adoption gives us certain responsibilities. The moment God takes a sinner and makes him his own, God changes your name. The bond with your old family is broken. You are now in a new family. You are now given a new name. You are now given a new inheritance. You now have a completely new head. The whole direction of your life is changed when God adopts you as His child. You no longer live for yourself or for your old family, but now your life must be in line and in the direction of what God expects of you. When God saved us, he not only forgave, forgave us our sins, but He also gave us a new name. You see, when God saved us, He did not only give us heaven, but He gave us Himself. 
We are now his property. We are his possessions. We are his children. We must now honor him. That is our responsibility. We now live for him. We must now have nothing to do with our old family. The family of darkness and desolation. The family of this world and the devil. We are now adopted to be children of life because we are children of God. And we must forget the manners and the habits of our old family and strive to become like our perfect big brother, our perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, because that's what gives God, gives God glory. We are by nature, according to Ephesians chapter 2, children of wrath. That is our nature. By nature, according to Colossians chapter 1, we are children of the darkness. Romans chapter 5 teaches us that by nature we are enemies with God. That is our default position. But all of that changed when God saved us. And when He adopted us, we became part of His family. He gave us a new name, or we should rather say He gave us His name. God gave us His own name so that we can now carry it and glorify Him and call others to join our family. 1 John 5, we quickly go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God, and everyone who, believe, who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Our responsibility as children of God is to love those who have also been born of God. To love those who have also been adopted by God. That is a great responsibility we have. And I should remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. is that those who are in Christ are a new creation. We who have the Spirit of God in us. You and I, if you, trust your, if you trust in Christ, at this moment you have the Spirit of God in you. That doesn't mean that you are better. It doesn't mean that you have been improved. No, it's so much more. If you have been adopted by God, it means that you are brand new. The old person has died. Behold, the new has come. You're not just improved. You didn't just get an upgrade. You were completely made new. The old man died. The old man was killed on the cross with Christ. And we have now been raised with Christ to new life. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We now have the ability through the Holy Spirit to live lives to the glory of God. God has supernaturally enabled us to live for Him. Those sins that you are struggling with, by the grace and power of God, you can overcome them. You can. Your desire to have a more deeper and intimate relationship with Christ, you can have that because you have full access to the throne of God's grace. Your responsibilities under your new family, under the new name that you have been given, is to work and to rest in a way that glorifies your Father. This means to glorify Him through the hard times and the easy times. 
to put every problem that you encounter in your life in light of eternity at the feet of your father and let him deal with it. A good example of this is Moses. When Moses was confronted by Korah and the rebellion, he did not fight for himself, but he had God fight on his behalf. Because that is who our father is. Another responsibility that we have is that we must know that we are to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that in Christ we share the same inheritance. In Christ we are fellow heirs. In Christ we have God as our Father and our portion. But under no circumstances think that you deserve it. Don't think that, well, since I'm a fellow heir of Christ, I have claim to these things. John 3.16, that word for only begotten, that word has this emphasis of being unique. He's the only of his type. There is no one else like Jesus Christ. And although we are elevated to the position of fellow heirs and brothers, we are not Jesus Christ. He is alone the only begotten, the only unique Son of God. And we should not mistake our privilege and the grace given to us as something that is owed to us. We are but dust. We are rebellious mud. But our Creator did not give us over to our sin or to His wrath. He decided to glorify Himself by making us His own children. And so we now, you at this moment, if your trust is in Christ, you have a mandate to honor Christ. You have a responsibility to honor Christ. Not just on Sundays, but as a way of life. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, wrote, God adopts us to a state of excellence. It were much for God to take a clod of dust and make it into a star. It is more for Him to take a, a piece of clay and sin and make it as His own heir. God could have used a speck of dust and formed the most beautiful, wondrous star out of it. But He takes us, dirt and mud, mixed with sin, and He makes us something way more. Heirs, heirs of the Creator who made us and everything and who sustains us and everything. And so you also have a responsibility to test your salvation. You have a responsibility to examine yourself. Many people are afraid to examine themselves. Many Christians, because they're afraid they see things that will make them worried and doubt. I want to tell you this morning, doubt is not your enemy. You know what is a real problem? What is your enemy? A false assurance. A false faith. I would much rather have you doubt your salvation this morning and get right with God than think you are right and one day hear the words, I never knew you. We who trust in Christ should have full assurance of our position because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son that seals us. And so if there's any doubt... Sort it out. Go to God. Plead with Him. Throw yourself on Him. Doubt is not your enemy. A false faith is. So if you doubt, if you even wonder, if you're unsure in any measure, what should you do? 
Throw yourself on Jesus Christ. Throw yourself on Him. Trust in Him. You see, Jesus stands ready and waiting to grab anyone who calls out to Him. Jesus grabs anyone who calls out to Him and places them in the arms of His Father. He stands ready with His ears, listening for those who call out to Him. He looks throughout the earth, seeking those who call on His name. Christ's desire is that you should be saved. So if you are uncertain, repent. Because Christ stands ready, waiting to save. Because that is how He glorifies His Father. Go to Jesus. Go to Him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so, as a child of God, you are called to the privilege and the responsibility of worshipping God. You worship God through songs and hymns like you did now. You also worship God through announcements that are made for the betterment and benefit of your church. You worship God when you listen to the preaching of His Word. You worship God when you teach or speak about Jesus in front of others. We are called to worship God. But, to make it more applicable, you worship God when you love and serve your fellow brothers and sisters. You see, not only you are adopted as a child of God, but all who place their faith in Christ. The relationships you have here will carry on into eternity. For all time, as long as eternity exists, which is always, you will have the relationships that you establish with your Christian brothers and sisters. And so worship God then by showing grace towards them. The same grace that He showed towards you. Worship God by pointing them to Christ. Worship God by being concerned for their interests. Worship God by honoring them, by being patient with them, just as God has been patient with us. Worship God by always doing what is best for them, by defending them. Worship God by practicing your spiritual gifts and your talents and your abilities for the betterment of this church. You see, brothers and sisters, so often when we avoid church or skip it, we, we are honest with ourselves. I know it's not the best thing for me, but you know, I'll, I'll just skip it, this, this assembly. It's so much more than about you. When we miss church, we rob our fellow brothers and sisters of the gifts that we could have given to serve them. Your attendance is not just for you. It's for those around you. That's why God calls us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And so, God's adoption is a magnificent doctrine. It shows us grace. He gives us great privileges, some awesome responsibilities. But ultimately, we are adopted so that we can praise God as our Father and Him alone. Right now, up until all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity. And Lord, we praise you for your grace. So Lord, I pray that this might be a small taste of this magnificent teaching from the Bible. And that it would start a greater desire and hunger, Lord, to know you more as Father. And so Lord, I pray that you would bless this church. Bless Lucas. Bless the work that's being done here, Lord. And may this church, this local community, be a pillar and buttress, a fortress of truth and light 
that all Mokopane, Lord, might know and hear the gospel, might receive the great blessing and privilege of calling you their father. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.